Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, we are in the book of Leviticus, up to chapter 12. And uh, we're learning a lot, wrestling a lot, discussing a lot, and I hope uh, uh, that we are giving honor and glory to the name of God, that he also is delighted by our study of his word and uh, wrestling with his truths and uh, trying to put into practice the things that he teaches us. Uh, The Holy Spirit is with me, praise the Lord, but he's also with you guys, and that unites us as a family in a very special way. We acknowledge his presence through the act of prayer. And to uh, pray us in, Janet from Canada. Sister, pray us in. So, Father, we're so grateful that we can gather again together as your people. And we thank you for those who will be coming to listen to this broadcast. We just thank you so much that you are with us. You are ever-present with us in our lives and in our countries. So we just thank you for that. And we come now and we thank you for this time to study your word, to not just to to know words in our mind, but also in our spirits and in our lives, that we may walk forward in your kingdom with the light that you give us through your word and through your presence. So we thank you again. We ask the Holy Spirit, We ask, Holy Spirit, that you be very present with us now as we study, that you would inform our hearts and our minds and take your word deep into our hearts that it might dwell there. Give us understanding and truth. And we ask all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, dear sister. So um, last week we had a very lively discussion on food, clean and unclean. And um, I did my best to try and include all of our discussion, which ended up being um, probably one of the longest summaries that I've ever done, just over a 1,000 words. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is getting to become a book. All right, but as is our tradition, we go over uh, last week's discussion and and I've tried to put it into into a summary. So Leviticus 11, for those that are online, the, uh, the, the, the PDF will be attached to the, to the podcast. With the ceremonial instructions in place, the following several chapters contains laws in Leviticus that touch on everyday life of the Israelites. The presence of God now resided in the tabernacle. The Almighty was with us. Now, how shall we live? One of the principal duties of the priesthood was to distinguish between the holy and the common, sacred and the profane, the clean and the unclean. Chapter 11 contains the instructions for foods that are permitted to be eaten and those that are considered unclean. Uncleanness was not considered a sin. An unclean animal still has value to both man. And God. Unclean animals were worthy to be saved on the ark. They just cannot be consumed as food for Jewish people. God speaks to both Moses and Aaron, which is the first time that the Lord does so in this way. 
Moses now functions as prophet and Aaron as priest. Both are now probably standing before the Lord in the tent of meeting. Henceforth, the people of Israel are to receive the word of the Lord through both prophet and priest. The history, wealth or poverty, religion and culture of every civilization plays a role in defining the human diet. God calls these instructions his Torah of beasts and birds, and we should not try to separate these instructions from God himself. He is holy, and so there is something about holiness with these instructions. From the literal text itself, there is no obvious rationale for the distinction of clean and unclean. Some commentators seek to find a health benefit through the consumption of clean animals. However, this fails to consider the health implications in the New Covenant, where most foods are now permitted to Gentiles. God took care of your health in the Mosaic Covenant, uh, but has now complete disregard for blocked arteries after Jesus. Well, this doesn't make sense. Are we comfortable enough in our trust in God to say that we do not always have to understand his ways, though we may honestly truly want to? Verse 44 declares that I am the Lord your God. God claims the right to speak into every aspect of our lives, including what we eat. God teaches his people in antiquity to distinguish between clean from unclean. Can we discern clean and unclean in our world today? We live in a culture that knows not the difference between good or evil, male or female. One of the gifts of the Spirit, giving to the body of the Messiah, is the gift of discernment. The spiritual lesson that we learn from Leviticus is the requirement for discernment. Once the discernment has been made, then the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If truth be told, then much of our society lacks self-control. In terms of food, the WHO, World Health Organization, cites the biggest cause of death worldwide is heart disease, predominantly brought about by diet. We know that processed foods are unhealthy. Uh, we know that processed foods are unhealthy choices, and yet we choose them anyway, even when the ingredients are clearly written on the packet like a warning label. Interestingly, we are commanded to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, to circumcise our hearts. And the heart is the leading cause of death worldwide. Interesting. The Lord reminds the people through Moses and Aaron that uncleanness is transferable, particularly death is transferable. Touching the carcass of a dead animal causes all kinds of things to become impure. Pots, vessels, food, people. Being in an unclean state is not a sin. Thus, sacrifices are not required to remove it. Simply washing the object, be that a vessel, clothing, or a human, in water and a brief quarantine period. Developing here is the basis for the Jewish mikveh system and the process of baptism. Following the cleansing for water, a rare element in the desert environs of Canaan and the wilderness, the period of quarantine lasted until evening. Interestingly, the time until evening would be different in each and every case. Removing a dead animal in the morning 
would mean you are in an unclean state for several hours longer than the person who removes the dead animal in the afternoon. Is this fair? Certainly, this is not the right question. The Bible does not discuss fairness or our rights. It discusses our obligations. The blood of Jesus covers a light sin as well as a heavy one. And the question is never, is this fair? The answer is simply thanks and praise. How wonderful is the love and mercy of God. In our discussions regarding food laws for Gentiles, we noted that several passages in the New Testament engage this issue. In Mark 7.19, we see that the Greek text, in parenthesis, thus he declared all foods clean, all manuscripts of Mark have the parenthetical words, and it is thus not assumed to be a late insertion, although it might be an earlier one. The parallel verse in Matthew, which is 15.17, does not have Mark's added comment. Thus, it could be a comment on what Jesus said by Mark and not actually what Jesus said. A lot has been written on this by some very good Greek scholars. Those are not me. So please do your research. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us not to break or to teach to break even the least of the commandments. Thus, I do not think that Jesus is dismissing Torah so lightly. Jesus would not have broken Torah, else he would then have been able to have been condemned as a sinner, which he was not. Acts 15 presents three food laws for Gentiles, and Paul discusses food offered to idols in 1 Corinthians. Gentiles are not bound to kashrut, Jewish food laws, but are limited in consuming food offered to idols. This causes an interesting discussion on halal foods and whether Christians can eat meat sacrificed to Allah. We should recall, though, in all of our discussion, we should recall that uncleanness is not a sin. Eating pork is not a sin. It's forbidden. And there is a difference. Recall also that being in a state of uncleanness does not require a sacrifice. In summary, the body of the Messiah should engage in the spiritual gift of discernment. We are in a relationship with a holy God, and we need to reflect his holiness through our own holiness. Having discernment with appropriate foods and self-control over our diet is an aspect of this holiness. If our bodies are indeed temples of the Holy Spirit, then let us reflect that holy truth in our deeds and in our actions. All right. So now we have a look at a chapter 12. It's a small chapter, unlike the next one, 13. My Bible is about three pages long. Okay. But uh, so chapter 12, let's see what we can, um, what the Spirit can teach us today. Leviticus chapter 12, and I'm reading from an ESV. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. And then she shall continue for 33 days 
in the blood of a few pur purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of a purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of a purifying for 66 days. And when the days of a purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon for a turtle dove, for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. And this is the law for her who, be who bears a child, either male or female. And she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. All right. Short passage. Probably think, what's this all about? But there's a lot of questions in there if you have a little look. So, based on Peshat, just the literal text, what jumps out at you guys? What was her sin? <laughs> oh, there you go, Roddy. A good question. It's a good question, Rocky. The question is, why does she have to make a sacrifice? What did she do? All she did was have a baby. Interesting. Good question. We can answer it later on, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's going to be one of the questions we will ask. Uh, Yvonne? Yeah. Um, why? It, uh, fruitful and multiply, right? So the, the shedding of blood uh, it makes her richly impure. And then the other thing is, why does a woman... If she has a male child, it's only 40 days. And if she has a female child, it's 80. Yeah. It, it does seem a little unfair, doesn't it? My mother-in-law, when, when, when I had my first child, she came. And in Asia, they do 30 days. And she came and she says, oh, you, you know, you have to uh, not go out and all these things that, uh, you, you know, in the West, it's not such a big deal. And at the beginning, it was hard. And then later, I found out, later I read in the Bible, I was like, oh, 40 days for for a male, but then, yeah, then it doubles on, a, on the female. I just wondered about that. Yeah. Um, Sharon? Ditto. Yeah, totally. Because I just find, you guys, that this just flies in the face of kind of the New Testament teaching, like Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So me being, you know, New Testament girl here, and you guys being Hebrew experts, I'm just like, wow like i feel like when we walk into the church like anything below the waist doesn't matter we're just one in christ but then there's this whole thing of what is the relationship between men and women in the kingdom of god it's a huge wow question. Uh, so many questions there sharon that's just that's right. just unbelievable it really, it really is you don't have to go below the waist to get into a problem it's your head that's your issue <laughs> but i love the way you started i'm a new testament girl and you guys we're not sure about you <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us were just Sorry, smiling. I didn't there, baby. sound proud. I have a real problem with that. I confess. But. <laughs> okay. But th those are good questions, and we will try and deal with them. Moti? I don't know. I was about to say the relationship between male and female are really made clear in the letters of Paul, uh, Shaul, you know, Paulus. He says the woman was created for men, and the men 
Okay, I'm not going to. Uh, no, you know, he, Paul, Paul does. Later. The New Testament does have some very interesting things to say. Remember, the Hebrew Bible doesn't say women shut up. New Testament does. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's all let's all be you know let's not just immediately leap out and say one thing cancels another. Let's keep the whole counsel of God and see what we can learn from this. Okay. Um, now I've got a bunch of hands raised, and I cannot work out who is first. So what I'll do, because I'm a, a chivalrous gentleman, we'll do uh, a lady, then a man, then a lady, then a man. How's that? Okay, so Janet. Um, getting back to this question of sin, um, do we go back to Eve and the fact that Eve, um, you know, took, took, the, took the fruit and also there was um, uh, that, you know, in... in in childbirth, you're going to have sin, not sin, you're going to have pain. But I'm also thinking that, um, well, sorry to use this image, but there's a lot of blood in childbirth. Sure. So that we have to have something, you know, same as in, you know, this whole thing about the, the woman's period. So there's a kind of, because because there's blood involved, there has to be some cleaning. Um I don't really have a problem with the male and female differentiation because it's, um, I should maybe, but um, <laughs> there's always this distinction between male and female. And it's, it's not a question of value. It's just a question of distinction that God has said. Um, yeah. I, um, you know, Marty's referring to it, but I, I, the only thing I can think of with a sin is that somehow each woman is kind of, performing some sort of expiation for original sin at childbirth. Okay, there was a lot of thoughts there. Thanks, Janet. A lot of things brought up. Okay, um, now going to a guy. Uh, let's go to South Africa and up that Nigeria. Andrew? Firstly, a comment on the first verse, which uh, says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. We've got both Aaron and Moses on the scene at the moment, that the Lord continues to speak to Moses the prophet. And is it that the Lord speaks through the prophet to us, that the priest takes us to the Lord? So just a comment on, on the first verse. And then a question on the whole issue of uncleanness. We've spoken about uncleanness and sin. What, what is the and, and this is, and this is a question not specific to this chapter. It comes up over and over again in Leviticus. The purpose of being in a clean or holy state versus uh, as compared to dealing with sin, being in a clean state, I would assume, is necessary for us to approach the Lord. If we're not in a clean state, we can't approach the Lord. So, just to distinguish again between an un uncleanness and sinfulness. Nice, thanks, Andrew. And it's an it's an interesting thing you noted. Um, chapter eleven brought in the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, prophet and priest. We're like, wow, they're both finally in there. They're both standing in the tabernacle. They're before the Lord. Now all of a sudden it's back to Moses. And maybe this is a, some sort of prophetic announcement. A good thought. Uh, Shimshon. All right. Um, thanks, Aaron. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I want to start from where you, you um, in the initial recap, um, you did mention that um, when we go through um, the period of um, when you have somebody that is um, that touches an unclean thing, 
it touches it um, it's for the person that touches it in the morning and also the person that touches it in the afternoon, you know, and all of them get to be cleaned about the same time. Um, it takes my mind back to the to the um, God, to the parable of the vineyard where the master hired a lot of persons and um, you, you could see that application just directly in there and um, it's 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 kind of teaches us something that many of these laws are actually what um, in the Hebrew they call halakha, the application of the law is what we should be driving at, not the way it appears there. Um, for instance, when you look at the childbearing and the sin that is attached to it, of course, you don't want to have somebody that just gave birth to a child and is going to all these places and um, exposing this child in that um, very you know tender state. You know you want to protect this child, and you look at the application of this law is at, at least trying to protect this child at the end of the day. Maybe for a, for a boy, the, the the immune system is stronger than for a girl or something. But there is something that you know kind of um, differentiates them and make them you know not have the same time of um, of of child um, of um, being dedicated. But I just have a question um, concerning when Yeshua was presented in the temple. It kind of lumps two things together there. Uh, if you look from the book of Luke, um, it talks about when it was brought to the temple. Um, if we read from verse 22, it says, this was the time of their purification offering. And the purification offering is what we're talking about in this Leviticus. Then the next verse says that um, verse 22, Three says that the law of the Lord says that if a woman has a first child that is a boy, it must be dedicated. And now this is another law in the Torah talking about the redemption of the um, of the firstborn. And so I don't know which one is being played here, or is it two different things? Uh, because everything is happening about the same time. A good question. When when Micah was born, our son, uh, we were here in Israel. And uh, so he, a male opened the womb, therefore belongs to God, right? That's the law. And uh, you still have a thing called the Pidyata um, uh, Ben. Is that, is that how you say it? Nama, Pidyata Ben? Yes, correct. And so we had a ceremony. Pidyana Ben. Pidyana Ben. We, we had a ceremony where we uh, stood before Kohen and... Um, uh, he takes Micah, and so at that moment, he owns him. Now you can say, okay, I'm going to take this guy now. I'm going to go, you know, sell him to some Saudis, or I'm going to train him up to be a rabbi. I'm going to do something, right? And, um, and then you do, you, there's some prayers and some blessings. You ceremonially put five silver coins on a tray, and that goes to the poor. You add more later, okay? <laughs> Not just five shekels. <laughs> and, then you, and, then you, and then you pray, and then he gives you back. Your boy, it's, it's, a, it's actually really quick. Lots of your friends are around. Everyone's singing and having a good time. And the little kid doesn't care. He's asleep. But, um, but it's a thing that we do. Uh, I'm not, it, it's, it's interesting. Did they do this there? Or did they, what, what exactly did she? The, Luke does record them bringing um, turtle doves or something, I think. Yeah, which, which, which is um, the purification offering. Um, the pair of turtle dove, which um, is a substitute for the ram, if, in case somebody doesn't have the ram. Um, but, you know, the verse 23 there just kind of uh, makes it um, um, a bit confusing because you're, you're trying to see the purification and you're seeing the, um, the firstborn um, 
dedication um, or the redemption of the firstborn day. So we don't know which is which. Um, is it the 40th day? Because um, when Samuel was returned to the Lord, um, uh, Samuel was much, um, uh, was it was more than um, 40 years. He had been weaned already. So um, it was a grown-up boy and um, Anna took her to go and give to the Lord because he was, she wasn't ready to redeem him because it was an oath that she made to the Lord. And um, so Samuel was a much um, older boy. But yeah, Yeshua was a much um, younger boy and um, the first Born redemption keeps up, and uh, I don't want to get distracted. I, I I just thought maybe you have some idea on what is going on here. No, other than lots of things are going on, and I think that in 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 the gospels they somehow put several of the of the of the laws together. Uh, Yeshua does it in some other instances, I'm sure as well. Um, and I think I think that uh, by the late Second Temple period they combined um, some of these teachings. Linda, Scotland. Yeah, I, just the, the thing that, you know, we've, well, all of us will have thought it sometime and keep thinking, it's just the fact that Mary took a sin offering when she gave, after she gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. Mm. That's right. Yeah, it just, it just seems quite, um, quite a strange thing, really. Sure. I mean, I know, I know they were devout. Mary and Joseph were devout, followed the law, and some so it would be following law. But it just when you think about, really, really think about the fact that, G, that Mary took a sin offering yeah. well, after she'd given birth to Jesus, it's just quite a, it's it's quite a, quite a thing. Correct. Our text says that the priest must make atonement for who? The woman. Her. Yeah. Her. Not the man. Right, you know, we 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 only really need men for one thing. After that, not so much. Uh, okay? okay, no, no, don't don't get too feminist on me here. Okay, uh, and uh, and obviously the baby hasn't done anything yet, and yet, and but the text is very interesting. Atonement for her, which is again Rocky's first question: What did she do wrong? Thought we were supposed to fulfill the earth. It's a, it's a very good question, and remember. The, the, we, the, we, we begin to think, did she actually commit a sin? There is some interesting midrashim on this. Maybe, maybe yes, Moti, you got one off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, we got two actually, but I was just waiting my turn to come. Okay. So if you want me to share now, I can share it now. Please, please. Uh, on this sin offering thing, why she needs to hear. Okay, so there are two different, uh, I mean, there are many, but I just like these two out of, out of many. So Rambam says, when a woman gives a birth, you know, she always, you know, because of the pain, you know, God had said to Eve, right? So you're going to give birth in pain. So because of the pain, many women swerved like saying, I shall no longer have relationship with my husband because of the pain she was in. <laughs> so this is the first second, second and most logical one is that as we have studied in Leviticus, the woman who gave birth suffered and was in a great danger. Therefore, she has to bring a sin offering. We have studied this, if you remember. You know, if you had a journey through a desert, blah, blah, you had to bring a sin offering. So there is nothing about the woman being sinful before the birth or something like that. So uh, the Midrash of Rambam is a, a emotional one. I don't think a woman now say, oh, I shall no longer have a relationship with my husband because of the pain I'm in. 
But the second one is because a birth still is a dangerous thing, you know? A lot of women die, still die, you know? And maybe this is a bit more logical one in the Mitrashim. And it is in uh, Abar Banel 12. Okay, thanks. It's interesting that the Leviticus says we have to make atonement. Remember, atonement is not forgiveness. Those are two different things. We can talk about that, and I hope we do. I've got some notes on it. Let's what in in the New Testament. Does anyone remember a verse about childbirth that Paul says, which is very interesting? Anyone know? You shall she be saved in childbirth. That's it. First Timothy. Yeah, I think 2. it's in, in first, uh, first Timothy. Yeah. yeah. First Timothy two fifteen. So here we're talking about in Leviticus. We need to make uh, an atonement, a covering. And in, in, in Galatia, uh, sorry, in, in the New Testament, she's saved through childbirth. You're like, what? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to get Paul and ram his head against a brick wall and go, don't say this kind of stuff. Like, really, like, think. Why? Why, Aaron? Yeah, Aaron, a very quick one. The verse ends like this, and um, the priest shall make um, expression for her or um, uh, covering for her on her behalf, and she shall be clean. It didn't say she shall be forgiven. It says she shall be clean. So it's not trying to get away sin. It's, it, it ends and says she shall be clean because of the uh, whatever the priest has done. Right. Very good. Thank you. Thanks, Shimshon. Okay, Yvonne, Brazil. The first impurity was seven days, which is normal in the sense of the child, you know, the, your, your menstruation. So that, that makes it, you know, a little bit more understandable. The rest of the days, of course, um, but I find very interesting, you know, talking about, and she shall, and, and, uh, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So the second process, which is the other 33 days, it's interesting that the people, obviously when you have a child, you know, you've got your husband holding the child. I'm sure the parents are holding the child. A lot of people are touching her and the child, and it seems as though they're not being richly impure. So it's just, it's interesting that in this case, as everyone's kind of touching everybody, that she's the one that's considered to be um, ritually unclean, unclean and not the other members of the family, I would I would assume by the text. Some of those are some good points. Thanks, Yvonne. I hadn't thought about that, that other people might be at play here, so particularly midwives. We know midwife, midwifery existed, okay, and uh, as, a, as a profession. One of the warnings there was for her not to get to the temple so that she doesn't touch anything that is sacred. So she can still transmit um, our uncleanliness. And um, one of the um, um, medrashim I've read before about um, our state then is because of our losing blood. Anything that has life going away is seen as a, it's seen as not a good thing in a way in the scripture. Uh, when life oozes out of, um, like um, when somebody have um, a marital relationship and a release some semen, life is going out. And so because of that, the man becomes unclean also. And, you know, other things. So they, they always attribute it to when life is going out. And um, I think it's Rashi that kind of attributed the, the life of a, um, a woman that just gave a bath to the life of somebody that has um, leprosy. Um, because the leprosy, you will, you, will, you will do the first cleansing by the person immersing himself in water. Then after, after three days, the person comes again for another ritual for immersing. And the final day, the person brings the sacrifice before the person is clean. 
here too. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So the person um, that is um, giving birth also, when she gives birth and initially she becomes unclean and she's um, immersed after the seven days, then she waits for another length of time, depending whether it's a boy or a girl, then she's also cleaned. That her final cleansing comes when she finally offers the offering. Yeah, that brings it the same way that um, the one with Tasria is being cleansed also. I have one more observation. Could the boy's circumcision on the eighth day, in a sense, contribute to his purification? So, so her the, the female would be the double time? I'm 100% sure that it's got something to do with the boy has to be circumcised on day eight, because that's also in the Torah. And also in the New Testament. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus' circumcision is in Luke 2. I think everybody knows the verse. So. Yeah, and in the, in, the, in the Christian calendar, you still have the Feast of Circumcision. No, I, I guess the point is that would that make, by her having the boy, make her time less instead of having a female, which would drive the time to 80 days? Well, I think, I think you're right in the effect that once we have a male, we need to make sure we fulfill the commandment for circumcision. And so, and so let's, let's have a little look at the text and see how we go. It's going to bring up some more questions. I got some more of my own in a minute, but Oh, I thought we, we were done. I thought we finished. <laughs> <laughs> we have been discussing 42 minutes, so I thought it was over. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, which is, as um, Andrew has pointed out, this is, he's the prophet. So this has a prophetical element to it because the priest is, while he's going to be involved, of course, someone's got to do the circumcision and the, 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 the priestly functions of sacrifice. But Aaron is not mentioned here. Lord speaks to Moses, prophet. Speak to the people of Israel. Okay. Uh, speaking now into the lives, everyday life of Israel. So we want to have more. That is a commandment to, to, to fill the earth. If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And this distinction between cleanliness and uncleanliness, there's a lot of blood, etc. The blood that comes out, life goes out, all those things we've talked about. And we, and we remember and we recall being unclean doesn't mean sinful. That, that's that's, that's the, a distinction here. Although we are going to make atonement, okay, which was different from um, touching uh, dead bodies and, and carcasses of animals in the previous chapter. Uncleanness was taken care of via a baptism. Here, okay, it's going to require something else. But male child, unclean seven days. Okay, uh, as part of like a, a menstrual cycle, a weekly, men, a monthly menstrual cycle, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin will be circumcised, which is um, a, a, a part of the Torah. Does anyone remember where, which it's, where it's from? Genesis. Genesis, yes. Genesis chapter 17, 11. Can someone read that chapter or that verse out for me? Genesis 17, 11. Who's got it? And God said to Abraham, oh, sorry, Genesis 17, 11, sorry. Um, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Excellent, which is great. The circumcision is a sign of the covenant. So what's the obvious question, ladies? How does 
strange covenant. Like, why do you have to slice and dice yourself to be in a covenant? Hey, that wasn't the way I was going, but fair enough. Good question. Uh, let's ask God when we get there. Um, so God says to Abraham, the sign of circumcision is a sign of the covenant. God is making a covenant with Abraham. That's absolutely fantastic. And this is going to be a sign. So, you know, every time you're in the shower, Abraham, you're going to be able to look down and go, woo, I have a covenant with God. Probably not what you think in the shower, but it's possible. Okay? Um, There's a midrash from that. You know, David Amelech was a very devout man, and he liked to do a lot of mitzvot. You know that midrash. And he was taking a shower, he saw listening, and then he said, okay, well, there's a mitzvah too. That's awesome. So there you go. It is possible. David Amelech did it. Okay, come on, ladies. What's the what's the issue? No, no circumcision for the women. Well done, Shimshon. God says to Abraham, this is a sign of the covenant. So women are like, what covenant? I ain't got one. <laughs> so, but it, it's interesting. How do women receive have the sign of the covenant? It's an interesting thought. What's the answer? I don't know. All you brainiacs out there. <laughs> hey, so, uh, remember, it's okay not to know. It's, it's, it's what we do is we investigate, we discuss, we, and, and, and we think about and ponder. The, the circumcision is a sign of the covenant. How do I know that? God said so. He says so to Abraham. And it covers for everybody. You know, when Abraham, was, when Abraham circumcised himself, it was okay for Sarah too, you know, like and for all the entire household because Judaism is very uh, manlish in Yiddish, we say, you know, a patriarchal religion. Mm -hmm. is, is Judaism also not more of a community faith stroke religion, whereas we've made Christianity very much an individual yeah. faith stroke? Mm -hmm. yeah. well, well, also the mother has to, she, the mother has to sort of present her, her baby to be circumcised. I mean, not that she would stop it, but but she's the one who perhaps, I mean, don't they keep the mother's eyes away from the circumcision now? Because for a mother, it's it's a, it's a different thing. I've been to some uh, Brit Milas where women leave the room screaming, okay? Yeah. Don't my baby. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there's a there's there's a bond of okay. This could be dangerous. It could be infection. There could be bleeding. I mean, unfortunately, I know a family who lost their baby in Canada through a botched circumcision. Oh no! You know, you, you have these things in your memory. Yeah. But I just wanted to say one other thing about women <laughs> throwing a spanner in the works here. Women may be not in the covenant the same way, but when it says the women are saved through childbirth, is she actually expressing a bringing forth of life that Satan would like to have stopped because it would stop the Messiah from coming. If women didn't have babies and it's so painful and they don't want to have babies. Interesting thought. There's, uh, that's the only reason I come through on that verse. But I think women, I, I presume in Jewish women, really do want their sons to be circumcised. And it's becoming more common here. My daughter has had both her baby boys circumcised because of the health aspects of it. And um, actually, the circumcisions are done by a Jewish woman doctor. But um, and they, they, you know, the hospitals don't necessarily do them, but they're recognizing that it's, it's much more hygienic 
and there's less problems in the future for for little boys and men. So um, that's all I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Yvonne, maybe you have some experience there too. No, I was going to say in, the, in the, here in the U.S., most people, at least when when you know, 25 years ago when I actually left the U.S., but it was a common procedure here in Brazil. It's not. So we also did that. We had to pay quite a quite an expensive fee to get a moel, he's a Jewish rabbi, to be able to do it for us. And I was part of the. I saw. I saw the whole process. It's very interesting how they do that. But it's it's interesting how, like in the U.S., I don't know. So in Canada, it must not be procedure at the hospital. I don't know if in the U.S. maybe that's not becoming procedure. Some of the states and places are really sort of. Like I had heard once in California, they were going to outlaw circumcision because it was doing uh, violence to the human body. I mean, there's there's all sorts of odd things happening. But basically, eight days seems to be the perfect time for the baby in terms of the healing and being able to sustain that procedure. And if everything's done well and properly, there's no problem. Yeah, my husband was born in my, my my husband's father was born in Shanghai, and uh, it's interesting in an American hospital, and they also part of the procedure there. So it's interesting how how it came out to the Gentiles, not only to the Jewish world, but in the sense of, of course, for the Jews, it's something. But in terms of the health aspects, it's a sign of the covenant for Jewish people, and uh, and then there's that health aspect for for a lot of other people. At the time when God gave the sign of the covenant to Abraham, other nations were already circumcising. It's not like this was a unique invention. However, this one attributes a cause as a relationship, and it's part of a relationship. And I understand completely when Christians, Gentiles, would also like to circumcise their sons in that same thought as well. I'm going. I see Kate had, had a hand up in a you know in a bit, so I'm going to get her to speak just after my little uh, spiel when Micah was born we're not Jewish but we are here in the land of Israel and we contacted uh, Mohel he came and did the service and he says well you know you're not you're not Jews so normally I would say this prayer or this prayer I'll do this one and then you say one when it was my turn to pray you know we got our friends around we laid hands on Micah and we said Micah as the Jewish people have been a blessing to us Gentiles, I pray that you will one day be a blessing back to the Jewish people. And the rabbi looked at me and went, great prayer. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and now, yeah, now Mike is defending the country. So he's, he's doing his job. Okay, Kate, you're up. Kate from Scotland. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I sort of withdrew that thought that I had. I was wondering about, is there confusion in this? We talked about... Um, men males being circumcised and i know it's a tricky subject so shut me down if you need to um if we find in some i don't know if it's cultural or if it's religious where females are circumcised and I, and i'm wondering if it's for the same purpose or if it's just a a ritual becomes a ritual then is there a confusion um spiritually I don't know why other cultures do female circumcision. Um, uh, or, or what I, all we can say from our text is that God has ordained uh, as part of his covenantal relationship for males. We are not to circumcise females. 
Um, Aaron, I, I think um, from an African perspective where, where they do female circumcision, usually they, it's more from, um, from a social point of view. For them, they're trying to stop the woman from becoming promiscuous. And so it's believed that if they do that, then as, <clears throat> as sex drive is, um, is, is taken away and so she doesn't um, become promiscuous. That's the only reason that can be given in the communities that do it. Yeah. Thank you, Shimsha. I didn't know. I just wondered whether it was a confused thought. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, not for a covenant thing. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Okay, some more hands raised, but then we'll continue with the text. So, Sharon, you're up. Just a quick comment, just to, to actually Janet's point about five minutes ago, but I think that that, but women will be saved through childbearing. I feel like I experienced that in the sense that, you know what I mean? I've known God since I was like an early teen and, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety that, yeah, like I felt like I ended up having easy births just the way it worked out in the sense that I didn't suffer a lot in pain physically. So I think it could be quite a literal interpretation, actually. I ended up having C-sections as it turned out uh neville yes i just wanted to comment also on that passage about uh, women being self saved through childbearing that you can you can think of it although it doesn't answer all the questions but one way of thinking of it is it's an entering in to the action that had to happen that mary had to do which was to give birth to the savior so women bearing children is an entering into what mary had to do nice okay that's a good thought okay Thank you. Um, who was up next? And then we'll keep going. Janet? Yeah, just a couple of comments here, going back to the circumcision of men. Um, my father-in-law, my husband's father, was a prisoner of war in Germany in World War II. And he recognized that the main way that they were recognizing who was Jewish was by the circumcision. And so this is kind of personal, but he said he never wanted his son to be exposed to that kind of discrimination because this is what they did in the camps and they did it. Um, they didn't do it to the prisoners of war because they had special, um, there was, well, <laughs> they suffered, but they were not sent to uh, Auschwitz and so on. They, they did suffer terribly, but um that that was he he recognized that's what was happening in that devilish time so that um i just wanted to refer to the female circumcision it's actually called genital mutilation actually and a lot of women suffer a lot of uh infection terrible terrible things and i don't want to even tell you that but it's happening in canada it happens under sharia law and um it, it, it's it's terrible. It's terrible what's done to women in the name of whatever. And I'm sure that uh, Shimshon is quite aware of this. Um, there's a whole campaign to stop this, but it's so cultural and it's so ingrained. But anyhow, praise God, he does want a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that is maintained. And um, we're still going to be distinguished even if we're not circumcised you know i mean when it comes to that the enemy doesn't like us any more than he likes the jew because we we're in messiah and that's 
that's that. But anyhow, um, there's lots of things that we could pray about and issues that I guess we could get involved in, but um, very difficult to break down that thing about for women. So onto this again, circumcision is the sign of the covenant and obviously it's something that males partake of. Right also in Genesis, God said that through a woman, right, will come the Redeemer and he'll bruise the head of the snake. And so women partake in that life-giving activity as well, which is uh, and so, so they both track, although circumcision is a, a male thing. Then in verse 4, back in Leviticus 12, then she shall continue for 33 days in, her, in the blood of her purification. Um, what do we call this in modern day speak? It's called maternity leave. Okay. Isn't that nice, right? You know, um, you have a break. And uh, you, know, you think, oh, she has to stay away from everybody. Well, maternity leave is a very similar uh, vein. She continues for 33 days, although this is a religious reason, although it does have some social implications. Yeah, and you have a purity thing, not a Correct, correct. 33 days in the, of blood. She shall not touch anything holy. So this idea of, of being able to transmit uncleanness, so she has to avoid um, uh, holy objects and things, places, etc. Um, that doesn't mean she can't leave the house and you can't go shopping or anything. But that's not what it means. It, it means that she's in an unclean state and has to uh, know what to do. Uh, but she cannot come to the shul. Correct. She can't come to the synagogue, uh, etc. And that is a rule still to this day. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Uh, she won't touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, which would be uh, the shul in, in modern day, but also the temple, back then the tabernacle, until the days of purification are complete. She has a break, okay, newborn baby. But if she bears a female child, and this is always the interesting one, she shall be unclean for two weeks, so it's twice as long, and, uh, and, then, and again, twice as long for the purification of blood. So she has a longer time of maternity leave some people might see this as a good thing others will say hey why does she avoided the temple for so long that's always an interesting interesting thought and when the days of her purification are completed either for a son or a daughter so once the purification process is done she brings to the priest at the entrance of the tent so she doesn't go inside she's at the, at the entrance a lamb and a pigeon so there's a burnt offering and a sin offering, which is an interesting thought. What was the sin? And we talked about it. You know, there's, there's sort of the, the ethical midrash that, you know, while she was um, giving childbirth, she uh, told lies, you know, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. You know, you're the worst thing that happened to me. Don't you ever touch me again, you nasty man, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then gives birth and then forgets everything she said. Um, that, but whatever it is, or there's this um, uh, sort of the, 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 the fact that the, the, the labor itself is a dangerous process, as Mordecai mentioned, that there's, there is the possibility for people to die and people to die more in the past than we do now, thanks to, to medicine, modern technology, and good, skillful doctors, medicines, etc. cetera. Uh, so there was still some danger. So therefore, the sin offering could apply to that um but it's for her not for the kid and not for the guy right he's off scot-free and she, she he shall offer it uh before the lord and make atonement for her right it's it's her 
not the not the child. So it's not that she get Mary gives birth to Jesus and Jesus is now, oh my gosh, he's now sinful and we've got to start covering him. It's um atonement for her. Maybe Aaron is a, maybe it's the idea too that it's um, you know, going back to the original curse, right? That that in childbearing you shall bear have pain. Because probably pre-fall, Eve maybe would have had babies without any pain and suffering. Is that the idea? And now that the concept that Galilean four put out there that, you know, that, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Galilean put in uh, Romans 5.12, that there was a sin can be. Yeah. So the concept that we pass down the sin. Pass down, yeah. Yes, but if you're passing down from Mary to Jesus, shouldn't he therefore be sinful? Maybe not. I know, it's weird. No, but I'm talking about this passage, like about the concept of why they're having it. This is with everybody else on the planet that would it would apply to, right? So, in other words, you're purifying because you're like it's a curse. Like in other words, having the child in pain was a curse. That's that's part of the curse, but we're not getting the we're not getting rid of the curse. We're covering atoning for her, not not the the curse per se. Um, the the uh, when we understand what do we understand by the word atonement, the covering. Okay, so what, what happens on the Day of Atonement? How's this? You know, the, the Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, actually, Day of Atonement. Oh, and just before we go on, there is a comment that um, Teresa did mention in the chat, and it's true. In, in the Book of Common Prayer, particularly the English one, not necessarily always the American one, I think they dropped it out of the American one, but in your English Book of Common Prayer, there still is a service for women after childbirth. Wow, nice. Yes. And, and I have to say, the Bishop of, uh, of Christ Church, the, the first one, Michael Solomon Alexander, he translated the Book of Common Prayer into Hebrew. And I remember when a group of religious Orthodox girls came into Christ Church on one of our open events, and they were looking through the Book of Common Prayer and they said, wow, look at this. It's got the prayer for the women of the childbirth. Look, it's got the prayer for the wine. Look, it's got the prayer for Shachari. You know, they said, who are you people? Are you Chabad? <laughs> I attended one of those services, but I was very young. Um, It was when I used to be doing um, shop work, you know, during holidays. And the people in the shop invited me to go. I was only a teenager, so I'd never come across the idea, but I can just about remember it. And I remember they said it was churching the mother. Yes. Wow. Yes, I've heard that. Nice. Churching. Okay, lovely. I'm going to have to look that up and mention that in some of the notes. But it is a true, it's a true service. I have seen it uh, in the book. Never actually done it. I'm glad you've done it. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, guys, I want to focus on two types of sacrifices. We know that uh, in the New Testament, we we call Jesus our Passover lamb. So I want you to think of the, the Passover sacrifice, and I want you to think of the Yom Kippur sacrifice. See if you can tell me some of the differences. Off the top of your head, how many sacrifices are there at Passover? One, it's a lamb. How many sacrifices are there on the Day of Atonement? Two. Multiple, correct. Uh, with the Passover sacrifice, what are you supposed to do with it? <laughs> Eat, it. Eat, it. Eat, it. Eat it. Eat it. On the Day of Atonement, what are you not allowed to do? anyone start to notice these are two very different feasts Mm -hmm. okay one is that for the day of atonement uh who we cut who are you doing the atonement for for the when you're 
confusing me right now. I feel like I'm being in an oral, oral test in the rabbinical college. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking yeah. about Yom Kippur or what? Yes. Yom Kippurim. It's called Yom Kippurim Day of Atonement. Who, who gets atoned for? Well, the all, the all of Israel. Correct. All of Israel, the priest, the altar. You make atonements for everybody. And the scapegoat. Yeah. Right. And a scapegoat. You know, we even get one left over. We go, do we do we have to kill this one? Nah, let's just, you know, we'll throw that one we out. Used to. No yes. more. Yeah. We're using this one. Let's well. drain from, from the cliff down. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They're supposed to let it go. But so in the in the in the Passover, where do you put the blood? On the doorposts. Yes. Who who gets the benefit of the blood? The people. Yeah, the people yeah. living in the house. In the house, not the whole cut community. It's it's actually a bit more local. It's still household. It's still individuals inside houses, and you can save anyone you like by bringing them into your house. But every household's got to do it. Yom Kippur, you do one for everything. The 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 actual feasts are very very different, and um, so when we think in terms of forgiveness and atonement. They actually, they, they have an overlap. I'm not going to say they don't. They do. But they also have some divergences. And, uh, and so we've already seen in Leviticus that it says the priest makes atonement and then they are forgiven. Those are two different things and two different words. And here it's the, the woman is atoned for. It's not a forgiveness thing that she's done something wrong. Because he's actually fulfilling a commandment, which was to go forth and, and, and multiply and fill the earth. Teresa? Is it a compensation for? A compensation? Is that what you said, Kate? Something like that, yes. Okay. You're compensating for something. Well, when you were t- in, yeah, because in, 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 in atonement, you do exchange something for something. That's true. Something for something. In, in Passover, the forgiveness is without an exchange. You put the blood on the doorpost, you get to eat your own sacrifice, but it's still a behavior. Still got to do it, right? You can't, do, you can't not do it. You can't just think about it. I thought about the blood on the doorpost. You know, I thought about eating the lamb. No, you physically got to do this stuff. But Aaron, Passover is not a sin offering, right? No, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, oh, thank you, Teresa. Yes, it is. It is not a sin offering, and and uh, and so it's an interesting theological thing in the New Testament where we go. Jesus is Passover Lamb, which is a, and he himself then also says, "This is my blood of the new covenant." Yet in Jeremiah thirty-one, no blood is actually mentioned. So this is a, a different teaching, and you're welcome to look at the um, lecture I did on the Maccabees, where a lot of the theology that links. New Testament and Hebrew Bible together, a lot of that, the- that linkage theology is actually developed in the Second Temple period. And we find it in, in other Jewish literature of that, of that time. Hey, anything else, Teresa, while you've got your hand raised? Yeah, um, I thought it was a peace offering as well, a Shalamim offering. That's what I thought. And for Passover, I mean. And I mean, I don't know whether this is right, but what, in piecing what what happened at the time of Jesus to him, I thought that he died at around three o'clock. And I thought that coincided with the time of the sin offering in the temple. 
I don't know whether that's right or whether that's just one of those elaborations, but I, that's what I remember hearing from Dwight Pryor's teaching, and okay. it's stuck in my head. Brilliant. So I, I don't know. That's... Because Jesus made himself an offering for sin. Remember it says in the New Yeah, I know. But, but, you know, that's why it was at the time of the sin offering because it was in the afternoon. So I don't know. Motti might have more to say about that. Well, it's called Yom HaKippurim, as Reverend said. There are mutual uh, offerings, like sin offering, shlamim offering. There were three, four mm. offerings. I mean, three at least. But now we don't have those offerings, if you ask about today. You know, we don't have any of those offerings. Does so that mean we are not being saved? No. We don't have the temple, but we do our best. We spent 20 hours in a synagogue, <laughs> and hopefully... It will fail. <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah. And again, we see that's um, very uh, interesting thing that um, um, Aaron talked about. You know, in the Second Temple period, John the Baptist, referring to Yeshua, says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the Lamb of God is referring to the Lamb of um, the Passover. Then, but it connects it to Yom Kippur in a very dramatic way. And, um, it's it's why we have this connection with with these two offerings, but yet they are very different. Um, because yeah, of course, Yeshua was not roasted, in, uh, you know, was not an olah because the Yom Kippur offering was an olah. It's supposed to be the whole burnt offering, but um, there is still some kind of connection within them. Yeah. Then also talking about a little about the circumcision, um, you know, there's this interesting midrash about. Um, um joseph when he introduced himself to to his brothers and you know the text says that and joseph revealed himself to his brother and say i need yourself so why would he say he revealed himself to his brother and say i need yourself so the midrash is that when joseph took away his garment and his brother saw his circumcision and he said i need yourself that means he revealed himself to his brother and when he saw the circumcision he said oh yeah, it is. It is real. It's. It's um, not an Egyptian. <laughs> it's. It's one of us, you know. And um, also, we we see we see there in in the book of Judges, but it's, it's a brutal circumcision that Simshon did um, to the Philistines. He circumcised a thousand people a day. You know, it was a very brutal one. It was in a nice one. They were they were grown ups. They were warriors. <laughs> yes, and. And I remember when we were studying, um, uh, which, which I think it was the Passover rules, the children of Israel cross into, into um, the land of Canaan, and the very first thing that they do in, is, is circumcise themselves. Mm-hmm. Kadesh Barnea. Yeah, Kadesh Barnea. And you go, what? You mean they you? They themselves. Oh, Gilgal. Gilgal. No, yeah. that was Gilgal so so during Joshua's time. So it means that the generation that lived in the wilderness didn't circumcise themselves. And you scratch your head and you go, why did they not do that? What the heck was Aaron teaching them? What is it? Well, you know, well, obviously no one's listening. Um, and then my other thought was, this has to be the worst battle plan ever invented by a general. You know, let's go to war. Let's stand in front of our enemies and then chop ourselves apart. That seems like a really cool idea. You know, um, that'll scare the pants off them. They'll run away for sure. You know, um, but 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 it, it becomes it becomes a it, as as we can see from 
Genesis. This is a sign. It's a sign of the covenant, and it's included in the Torah that this is how you will do it. Um, obviously, it's a sign that's very specific to males. At the same time, women have a very specific function too, which is to bring forth the Messiah, right? And, uh, and so these, these, each of us have a role. Each of us has responsibilities. And these are things that we each can't do, right? Women, you can't get circumcised, okay? Well, you, you shouldn't, okay? Men, we obviously can't give birth, okay? Can't happen. Not yet. <laughs> yes, okay. Okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We have, we have roles. We have functions. Now, how, now we get to talk about how Galatians 3.28 works. Galatians 3.28, which is? I don't get it. Okay, one comment on that, Sharon, is that you notice in, in the Leviticus passage, the actual sacrifice at the end is the same whether it's a boy or a girl child. And the Galatians passage is not about uh, worthiness, it's about status for salvation. There is neither distinction between men and women or slave and free in terms of salvation. In the kingdom of God, right? In the kingdom, yeah, yeah. In terms of salvation, there are still Gentiles, there are still males and females, there are still slaves and free, right? That still exists. And, yeah, because otherwise Paul's becoming quite hypocritical when he then turns around to a slave and say, go back to your master, as opposed to saying, no, you're all equal, can't believe you've still got slaves. You know, let's go get that evil landowner and lynch him, right? That's not, that doesn't happen. Um, so uh, Neville's correct, Sharon. It's in terms of the, your position of salvation. And uh, everyone has exactly the same access to the Lord. So then, right on. So just real quick, then the next concept is then if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So myself and linda and you know us girls are all heirs of the promise equally absolutely absolutely but then you guys are the only ones that get the sign and there's no sign for women we do it on behalf of the women yes and and you have babies on our behalf we track together remember when, when we get the gifts of the spirit do we all get the same gifts no no one no one gets the same gifts we need each other we, 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 we have that, that community responsibility. And as um, I think it was our Brother Andrew mentioned, remember, in Jewish, Jewish thought, we also think in terms of national, we think in terms of community as well as individual. In the Christian world, we have the tendency to, 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 to focus very heavily on the individual. We still have this thing called the ecclesia, the church, and sometimes we only pay lip service to it. But, and we focus too much on the individual, not to say that the individual is not important. We are. We're all of infinite value to the Lord. Absolutely. But uh, we need to also remember the community aspect that there is in this. And so even though um, uh, the woman is having the atonement for her, there is an aspect of community within this as well. Her husband probably is there as well, holding on to the kid, plus all the other kids that are around, <laughs> and maybe even some other families. Because remember, the sin offering is something you can consume. The burnt offering is the Lord's. And just as we can't choose a gift, those gifts are given to us by the Lord. So the Lord is telling us, this is how it is, and this is what you do. 
So we take that and use it as our gift from him. This is his, his, his pledge to us. Amen. Yeah. And um, just when going back on the concept of, um, you know, the sacrifice, it, it reminds me of purification and ransom. So purification, obviously, from the blood flow and uh, which okay. would be. Yeah. And then the ransom or, you know, would be, you know, an atonement for ransom, because otherwise, if she would have gone to the temple and um, been in church, she would have been, uh, it would have been a great offense. So it's interesting how and it seems like those two kind of walk hand in hand in, in her case here, um, purification and um, ransom. Mm-hmm. I remember somebody made a thank you. The um, when last night we were having a Bible study and we mentioned that um, ransom and redemption are the same theological word in uh, in Hebrew thought. So when we read in the Greek, he was a ransom. You can also use the word redemption. So you know there's, a, there's an act of redeeming going on here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody mentioned in the chat that uh, uh, that partners, wives can be coverings for an unbelieving spouse. We mentioned that one. I think it's um, Sharon. Marty. They both. <laughs> there, was, there was somebody who wrote it. I think it was you, Sharon. Wasn't it? I think it was I Janet. Yeah, Janet. Janet. Oh, okay. yeah, but, does, yeah. does anyone know the Bible verse? I can look it up later if anyone. Um, but it, but it, it does. The implication is that if your husband is unbelieving, that he will be not saved. Saved by by the believing wife. Yes. First Corinthians seven fifteen. Paul, as as just as Peter says, Paul is sometimes hard to understand. Okay, women save through childbirth. Women can save their husbands. You know, it's, uh, it gets very interesting, and you, you scratch your head sometimes. But it does show us again the value of community. Yeah, I can read it if you want. Okay, what is it? First Corinthians seven fifteen, Marty, because it says fourteen. From 14. Yeah, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Well, I like Rabbi Shaul sometimes, you know. So, the, yeah, <laughs> so there you have it. the distinctions, cleanliness and cleanliness and, and, and clean and unclean and, and holy and unholy and, and uh, sacred and profane, those sort of distinctions there. And then there's this community aspect that we actually can have an effect. Our holiness can have an effect on others, just as we can, uncleanliness can have a contaminated effect. That might be like the generational sins, Aaron. You know how they're passed down? Like your father's sins are passed down generationally. They, they can be, but they can always be broken. They can be broken by the blood of the lamb. Ne- ne- never think that just because, you know, my dad's an alcoholic, I have to be an alcoholic. That is so not true. Um, because otherwise, get yourself a stronger Jesus because you're obviously too weak. <laughs> um, that, it, it's, but you can't ignore the, 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 the sin effect that is handed down, which is, which is also strong and needs to be addressed. So we need to keep that balance. But always remember, God's way more powerful than that. So we've got to keep all these things into balance. So one of the things I do appreciate uh, when putting New Testament into context is, is, is yes, God, Jesus loves me 100%, but also remember the community aspect that we have and the fact that our righteousness and holiness can affect other people. We have, we have a community uh, effect. And vice versa, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
we also have to be careful with sin. Like with respect to that verse that you just said, uh, Aaron, what, why, why does it make, so if I believe, why does that make my kids holy? That's a powerful thought. It's a very powerful thought. It's the, it's because in, we think in terms of individual redemption only. We have to keep what we what we're trying to learn, and I think we see some of it here in Leviticus. Is we look at a community aspect that it flows over, and that's very powerful and absolutely fantastic. It also means you know, the power of prayer. Think think of the power of a believing wife. Yes, or the opposite. Think of the power of the believing husband. Yes, yes. yes. or yes, a righteous man, right? And uh, you know, whose you know wife may you know perhaps a bit like. Um, Hosea, yeah, whatever, but he's decided to be Yeshua. He's going to be straight. He's going to be a tzaddik. He's going to continue to pray and believe and trust. He's going to model his life to his kids, and uh, it's going to have an effect. And he's going to be Greek to Greeks and Jews to Jews. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Any other comments? Otherwise, um, call it there. We have the last verse we've not talked about. Oh, yes. Okay. This, we make her clean. Yes. Let's do that one. Yeah. Um, before, before, it goes to, before it gets to making her clean, um, it talks about um, uh, if she doesn't have enough means to make the, the sheep and before yep. it steps yeah. out. You know, that it shows that the Lord is, is, um, is, is compassionate and reasonable. It's not making access to to this cleanliness or access to the temple or access to the services is too difficult for other people. I mean, the, the total do is something that I, I believe a lot of people could afford. Yes, I think, I think, Chimchon, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I've got a feeling that at the time of the temple, a lot of people didn't have lambs. I've got, a, I've got a suspicion that the majority of sacrifices were actually the small ones. It was the cakes, it was the grains, it was the, it was the small birds. That doesn't mean bulls and goats weren't there. They were. But uh, could, could you imagine the number, sheer number of lambs that you're going to need, you know, uh, for every family, every year, if you're always having kids and always making a mistake and always committing a sin? <laughs> you wouldn't have any sheep left after the first two years. We're like, man, we're vegetarians now. We've killed absolutely every animal. <laughs> so um, I've got a feeling that, that it's a... Uh, it, and it shows also God's compassion for the poor and also that Jesus' family was initially poor. That uh, at the time of Yeshua's birth, they weren't rich. They didn't have the means to, to provide a lamb. We don't, maybe carpentry wasn't such a, a flashy business. Um, not like it is today where some guys get nearly $100 an hour to come and fix your door. Um, but in the past, it was a little bit different, I guess. Um, and, and obviously our wise magi haven't shown up and given gold yet, okay? Um, that, that's coming a little later in the, in the story. Okay, so God is compassionate with the poor, and uh, then the priest makes atonement for her, and, which is not for sin. It's a, it's a um, covering, and she shall be clean, not, as I think, Shimshon, you were at the start, not forgiven she is now clean there is a distinction made between cleanliness and uncleanliness and uh yeah, this is part of the holiness aspect for the people of god and it involves some 
paid maternity leave there for the young lady it involves uh, the potential the 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 right the the circumcision the covenant this is a covenantal relationship that's going on here we're looking at family aspects and uh, not to, and community life as well as individual and uh, and a covering that there is there is always a covering god doesn't want to leave people in a state of uncleanliness or he wants people to be holy just like he's holy and holiness has an effect it has an effect on this world and has an effect on on, uh, on creation, what should have. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King